the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You are about to listen to American Signpost, a thought that points us back to God. What is the motive for rewriting American history? Motives are important. Investigators are still seeking the motive of the Las Vegas shooter. Why was he out to kill, if he could, the whole crowd? Those who are presently rewriting American history seem to want to kill the country. At least they want to kill the country we have been. 500 years ago, the leaders of the church had essentially rewritten the Bible story. In order to succeed, they refused to allow people to read the Bible for themselves. When Martin Luther rediscovered Bible truth, one eventual result was the creation of the land of the free and the home of the brave. Now those who would rewrite American history seek to conceal the Bible from the American public. Why? Think about that. I am Pastor William Boylan. This is an American Signpost. Visit PastorBoylan.com to learn more about how history instructs our country's way back to God. That's PastorBoylan.com. Welcome to Signpost. Signposts has been posing one question. How can America's past shed light on her future? Join Signpost host, Pastor William Boylan, and his son, author Andrew Boylan, as they visit America's foundation to understand better what's happening in the world today. Get ready to hear about America's beginnings, as you have probably never heard before. Now, let's join Signpost. Good afternoon, and welcome to Signposts. This is Andrew Boylan, one of your co-hosts for the day, with my dad, Pastor William Boylan. Hi, Dad. Hi. Good to be here. It's always good to be back on these microphones. I uh, wish we had a two-way communications operation, especially with pictures that we could see those folk who are listening to us. But anyway, we're glad you're uh, on the radio with us, and uh, we hope that what we have to share today will really be a help for you as you're growing your faith. And if you're someone who's really listening to this afternoon and and you really wonder still what the Christian faith is all about, uh, I hope that our conversation may really bring some light on the subject. Yeah, I hope so, too. I Certainly, I think today's topic will be rife for that. I mean, we want to really talk about what is, what does it mean, what is real Christian and not real Christian is our major topic. And But we also want to filter it through the life of Martin Luther and the Reformation. We it, Reformation Sunday is coming up. And actually, as we start, why don't you take a moment and give us a little background on Reformation Sunday, give our audience a little sneak peek of what uh, makes that particular moment in history so profound, Dad. Well, I think it's profound because it really changed the Western world. And the Western world was really influential in changing the world. And I don't think I'm exaggerating because uh, when you come to the year 1500, uh, 1500 years after Christ, the gospel has certainly made its way uh, through mostly the Western world. When Paul wanted to know, the Apostle Paul wanted to know where God wanted the gospel to go because Paul wanted to be led. He he was looking for a sign that this is signpost. Absolutely. <laughs> we, we're on the air because we ourselves are looking for signs and hope that people who want a sign from God uh, want to know where he's taking them. That uh, Maybe we'll uh, shed some light on that. But 
but where was Paul back uh, just after Christ had died for our sins and then risen from the dead and ascended to heaven? And one of the people he came back to confront personally was Saul. Paul was his Roman name on the Damascus Road. And Paul passed from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And boy, his life changed. And he wanted to now take this message worldwide. Mm. But when he got to a place called Troas on Asia, in the continent of Asia Minor, uh, it was called Asia, Roman Asia in those days, uh, he didn't know where to go. He didn't know whether whether the Lord wanted him to go to the east or to the west. He had a choice, and he prayed. And the Lord told him he wanted you to go west. He wanted him to go to Greece. That was to the west of where he was. Mm. He didn't want him to go to India yet. That would have been to the east, mm. or at least to uh, what, what is today the Middle East. So, uh, so the Apostle Paul uh, started this journey, and uh, the gospel finally got sent it for, for a time at least in Rome, uh, and the church was uh, sent it, mm. uh, as I say, or uh, run by the Bishop of Rome, who we uh, know as the Pope of Rome. Uh, and and the gospel kept moving and kept developing, and it got into the Germanic countries, and it got across the English Channel, and the English heard the gospel. And and by the time you get to the year 1000, the Western world is pretty much evangelized. Mm. And then there was a period of steep decline. I think we have to admit that, that uh, the church stopped being a church in many ways and became its own government. Mm. Or it became the world's government, at least the Western world. And uh, and then there's this great revival, uh, outbreak of the truth of Christ again in biblical terms. And it's the period we call the Reformation. And the one event that usually is singled out as critical to that time, that, uh, that new awakening, is when a, a, an obscure German monk who's, we can talk about him, but who's pretty much uh, scared to death of facing God because he doesn't think he'll ever be good enough. Mm. He thinks he's doomed from the start, and he wants to really know what can be done, what can I do, what can happen to me that'll make me acceptable to God. Mm. That, was, that was his struggle. He was uh, really, really a, a f- frightened to death, <laughs> to put it, uh, to use that metaphor, I guess. Uh, but anyway, and God in his mercy showed this monk uh, the truth of justification by faith alone, mm. and boom, that 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 uh, began to change the Western world. And then, a uh, hundred and so years later, hundred and twenty, not very long, really historically, uh, the the gospel jumped across the Atlantic Ocean and got planted here, and mostly in Boston, to tell the truth, and then. It developed into a nation of its own, a new kind of nation, the United States of America, and then, then the United States. Uh, by the time of the early 1800s, 1810, in fact, would be a date you could assign to it, uh, began to go east, and right. now the Christian church is worldwide. Absolutely. So that's no. a, a well, we've, we've covered a lot of ground in the first opening minutes here on Signpost today, and we're talking William Boylan and Andrew Boylan. Um, pastor many years William Boylan and um, myself a writer we're talking about how we're talking about many things but how the gospel spread um, across the western world and we're talking about one very important figure in the middle of all that in the middle ages Martin Luther 
and where his role is. And we have his anniversary coming up here in a few weeks. So um, we've dedicated our show today to and on signposts to that. And given that we're looking for signs, you mentioned in the middle of these events, this cascading events of, of the gospel going from Rome to America in this thousand-year span, that Luther was looking for a sign. You said that he was looking for a sign. What, what happened to him that made him suddenly wake up and, wa- and want to know God and, and not feel like he was deserving of God? Well, we can put ourselves back 500 years ago, half a millennium, uh, into that period of time, the year 500. Uh, What we have uh, going on in the world at that time was a Christian church that was in charge of the world. Mm. It was medieval Christendom. Uh, The Roman Empire had been uh, blanketed by the gospel, but it wasn't always the biblical gospel. Uh, The... uh, the Roman, the Roman Empire came to be called the Holy Roman Empire, and some shrewd observer said it was neither holy nor Roman nor an empire. <laughs> I mean, it didn't control everything, and uh, it was a uh, little less than holy. Uh, and Rome was had lost a lot of its uh, glory and power, its, its great. Uh, uh, claims back in the times of the Caesars had mm. pretty much, uh, they didn't evaporated, but they had lessened to a great degree. So that really, as you approach the year 1000, uh, about 200 years before, but speaking historically, 200 years is a blip on the screen. <laughs> right. Uh, but nevertheless, there was a great controversy called the Investiture Controversy. And what that is for people listening is uh, the king was Charlemagne. Charles the Great, mm-hmm. and uh, and the, and then they had the Pope, who was really uh, a, a world ruler at that time, and the Pope crowned Charlemagne. Mm-hmm. And the historical question is, who was the greatest? Was it the Pope because he crowned the king, mm-hmm. or was it the king because he was crowned by the Pope? Right. <laughs> and it was called the Investiture Controversy. I bring it up simply, it kind of points out where the world was. This was important stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, The church considered itself to be not just uh, a a proclaimer of truth and light. It claimed to be in control of the world. Mm. And it took control. And there were papal armies and the like. Mm. And, And that all leads up to this great period of recovery, restoration, revival. You can put anywhere you want to, but we call it the Reformation. The, the, the church was really reformed. Mm. It was formed all over again. And it was formed along the lines of biblical truth. People got a hold of the Bible. They read it. They rethought it. They realized uh, what it was really teaching. And the man who was at the heart of this in many, many ways was this monk, Martin Luther. Right. And that's a profound moment in history that people got their hands on the gospel again, which says that for a long period of time, they did not have their hands on the gospel. Somebody else got to tell them what the gospel said, regardless of what may or may not have been in the gospel when they were speaking. Correct. Yes. And so, I mean, as and one of our key components here on signposts that we talk about here on um 1260 The Buzz 
is what are the signs in our life, what are the signs in your life, if you're listening, that we follow from God? What are the signs that Jesus puts into our heart that tells us what path we're supposed to take? You talked about a path that Paul was standing and making a decision to go east and west. He chose to go west towards Greece. And we, every day, stand, you know, wake up, do our devotionals and pray and ask God to guide our steps, to tell us where we're supposed to go. And and so now we're talking in the Middle Ages, and we're talking about Luther, and we're talking about God um, get, putting putting the gospel back in their hands so that they can ask God themselves for the first time in many years through his word. Yes, they could have prayed to him and all those things, but they couldn't, through his word, they couldn't read his word to digest it, to make it their own. And now he is putting the gospel back in their hands and reforming the church and reforming the church, like you said. And there was one thing in, in all this that I was also, I wanted to stop and pause and really take that in and think about a time when you couldn't do that as a, as a, as a individuals, as people, we could, we, they didn't have access to the gospel. They didn't have access to the words themselves. They had to have it filtered through a body politic that had its own agenda by every time it proclaimed a word. But something happened in Luther's life that made this, ha- this happen that drove him forward to ask, to start asking these questions before he became a monk, before he even went into seminary. Right. I mean, something profound happened in his life. Did he, he almost got struck by lightning or he got struck by lightning. What, what was that? No, that was it. He was, uh, he, he had grown up under a father who wanted him educated, who wanted him to be a lawyer. And Luther was following that path. In fact, uh, I believe if my memory serves me right, he was on his way to studies to become a lawyer. But he was uneasy about himself and uh, his world. And like I said, uh, in the, if you have just tuned in, I just said in the last segment that we were talking about in the last uh, few moments, um, uh, that this was, this was normal life in the medieval world. Mm. Uh, the, the, the spiritual things, uh, the reality, uh, uh, God's reality, this, these things were not questioned at that time. The issue was the truth of it. Mm. The issue was uh, knowing it accurately and not superstitiously and that type of thing. But superstition had certainly run its course in the, in the church by that time. <clears throat> and this young monk, well, he wasn't a monk yet, this young uh, law student, let's call him mm. that. This young law student was on his way to uh, do his studies and enter into the field. But he had, deep down, disquiet. He was uneasy about himself, where he was going, where he really stood with God. And <clears throat> as you just said, Andrew, uh, a lightning strike hit, a real one. I mean, not just not just a symbol or a metaphor. He was almost hit by lightning and killed. Mm. And he said to himself, believing that everything ultimately pointed back to God's hand, mm. God threw a bolt pretty close to me. I guess he wants me to think about this. And yep. so he think about it, he did, and he changed direction. Literally, again, he didn't head any longer toward this uh, law degree that he was trying to obtain. He entered an Augustinian mo- monastery, mm. and he became a monk. And he was so intense and so uh, afraid hmm. that he almost drove his superiors crazy. They couldn't satisfy him that God was satisfied. <laughs> he, hmm. he, had this, he had this deep down dread of facing the wrath of God. 
that he and did he, did he feel like he needed to earn it? Is that what was the oh, dread? Absolutely. In fact, the church uh, gave him the full impression that you earn these things. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, this jumps ahead a little bit. It uh, goes a little later in his life when he had begun to study. He, by the way, he became he was bright. He was a brilliant man, right. and he became a teacher. Mm-hmm. And he he started in 1513. If you want dates, or you're a person like myself who kind of wraps thoughts around dates, uh, we're talking about the great change coming when Martin Luther goes to the wall. I know that's a bad expression because of the way we use it, but he actually went two-way wall. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And it was where you posted notices. Yep. And he wanted to debate certain teachings in the life of the church. And it was common. You could do that. And he had 95 questions he wanted answered by the church to mm. defend their teaching. And defend. We call them the 95 Theses. And uh, that that piece of paper was tacked on the wall on November 1st in 1517. Mm. And that's the date. That's why we're doing this. And that's why we're here today on Signpost talking about the Reformation because that date is coming up in a couple of weeks. Right. So we really wanted to delve into it because, I mean, this is in keeping with what we've been talking about over the last year here on Signpost is really helping equip Christians in contemporary times with a historical basis for the faith and for their faith in Christ, in, in Protestantism and Christianity and, and, uh, this is what, and these are these are the fundamental building blocks. And this anniversary is coming up. It's very important. To, this is a transformative moment in the entire history of the world. So we wanted to take this time on signposts to talk about that. And and this this ninety five thesis this that he nailed to the Wittenberg. I mean, is it the Witten? What do they call that? The Wittenberg window or the Wittenberg well, wall? Or it was a, it or, was the castle the church of, of Wittenberg. And Wittenberg. They, yeah, yeah, that's what it was. And, uh, yeah, I, I think they actually nailed it to the door. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. Yep. Yeah, I think it was there. Yeah, and he, and he has these challenges to the church, uh, and he wants he wants answers. And the reason it's uh, uh, come to this point is because he had started four years earlier to teach the Psalms. Mm. And as he taught the Psalms, he kept reading things in there that sounded like God was a lot more gracious and good and kind and loving than he feared him to be. Mm. Uh, he thought he thought that God uh, was uh, really just waiting to get his hands on people like Martin Luther and just uh, punish them severely for their sins. Mm. And he was trying to work his way out of this. And one of his reasons going to the Augustinian monastery was really one of the motives was to uh, try to do something that God would be pleased with. You know, he, he could change his life. Mm. Then he got into the studies of Galatians. And when he got into the letters of Paul, he got even more curious at one level and yet uh, baffled at another as to what, what is, why is Paul so, uh, so free and easy with his relationship to God and mm. talks about it so, as if they're almost on a level of just friendship. Uh, what what's happened to Paul that he can do this? I can't do this. I I I go into my cell now. A cell wasn't a jail cell. It was what they called a little room they lived in as monks. Mm. 
but he would actually beat himself. He would actually hit the wall. He uh, and again, these too bad these expressions in modern time don't mean exactly what they did then in <laughs> 500 years ago. I mean, he hit the wall with his fist and with himself, Absolutely. trying to trying to punish himself so that he would please God by by showing God that. Uh, God was right in judging him to be a sinner, and he was judging himself to be a sinner. Right. I mean, that was a big thing in the Middle Ages, this idea of manifesting your—I'm trying to think of the word I want, but justifying your sin, your inequities, your your failures in front of God with physical— manifestations of, vi- of violence against your body or mortifications and things like that. These were big instruments in that time. I mean, I wrote an entire book on this topic that uh, that came out last year. I mean, one of one of the one of the things that has interested me as I've studied over the years is this this desire that people have or it's not a desire, but this feeling that they have that they have to physically manifest their failures as a punishment to their own body. Um, and, and it's interesting that you say that. I mean, I don't know if he really was into mortification in that way, although I, I know that throughout that period and in this area, it was a big deal and it was, it was going on. And so I wanted to just pause because I I think this is an important thing to like, you know, mull over these, these, you know, these priests and these, you know, and these monks who are living at this time really felt strongly about their sin to the point where they wanted to manifest itself. And I think about it all. I've thought about it over the years a lot. So I I wanted to pause and think, take, take a second as here on signpost to, to remember that this is how people engaged with the gospel. Well, again, you mentioned your book, your book is sacrifice uh, going right to the heart of that and how it was twisted yeah. Yeah, but nevertheless there was something deep and spiritual at the at the heart of that because people know down deep that they have if if God is holy, perfect, righteous and all that the Bible claims him to be, any serious thinker knows they are not. Right. Yeah. No, it's absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, but we, we, we do a pretty good job of hiding it from ourselves, and that's uh, maybe one of the worst parts of our problem is. But Luther Luther knew that pretty well, but he didn't know what to do about it. But as he read the Psalms first, and then he went and taught Galatians, uh, things began to clarify for him, and then he taught the Book of Romans. Mm. And now he's really looking at the cross through the eyes of the Apostle Paul, who's bringing forth not just a description of the sufferings of Christ on the cross, but is delving into the motivation of Christ going to the cross, and what's really transpiring between God his Father and uh, the Son of God, who's now being treated like a derelict, Mm. who is suffering the wrath of God like no one ever has. Uh, it's so intense, it's so profound that pretty soon the sun's going to react. I mean, the sun in the sky is going to react, and it's going to withdraw its light. Mm. I mean, this is how serious what for the universe, uh, what's going on on the cross that day. Mm. Uh, the the created order is retaliating against Christ, and the problem. And the question is why? What did he do? Right. And 
and Martin Luther, it comes to him like a flash of light. He didn't do anything. I did it, and he's suffering for what I did. Mm. What a breakthrough that was for Martin Luther and for the Western world. Right. And Absolutely. for the Western world. No, it's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. It, it is unbelievable. So uh, Luther now sees so much that's going on in the church of his day that needs to be stopped needs to be challenged, needs to be, if it's if it's uh, defensible, then defend it to me is basically what Lewis is saying. I mean, his his 95 challenges were an academic uh, issue. Mm-hmm. It, it was what scholars did in that day. It was, there was nothing unique about posting it, but some of those questions were really damning. Right, and, right, yeah. They yeah. were cut to the heart of yeah. what the issues were with, the, with the Roman Catholic Church at the time. That's right, and and one of the examples, uh, and it was a, it's uh, what happened. Uh, the story is that Luther was coming through the streets in the evening, and some drunk was staggering around, and uh, uh, Luther was taking him on for being uh, drunk. <laughs> for you know, wine is fine, but uh, don't be drunk with wine, which is excessive. Mm-hmm. That's the Bible, and Luther. It's a different world. Uh, people didn't ignore each other. Uh, Luther felt he had a responsibility to face this man with what he was doing. The man was drunk, and Luther goes up and challenges his drinking, and the drunken man pulled out a sheet of paper. It was an indulgence. He had paid for it. The indulgence was so, sold to him by a man named Tetzel. Well, this is a perfect moment as we have to cu- cut to commercial break here on 1260 The Buzz. It's time for a commercial break, but I want to remind listeners that you're listening to Signposts, and we're going to continue with this topic. We really want to answer some some questions that we have about how the world was changing at that time and some major inventions also that came along that kind of propelled forward and at this exact moment that dovetailed with what Luther was doing to transform the church, that certain things were happening in the world and a certain invention came along that would help get this message everywhere to everyone. So we're going we're gonna to take a little break here, and we want to welcome anybody to go to PastorBoylan.com during our break and uh, find out more about signposts today and uh, write to us about our episode about thoughts you have on as we move into Reformation Sunday, which is a few weeks away. And we'll be back after this break. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 